following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Boys and girls, what do you do when one of your brothers or sisters comes to you and says something like, Mom says it's time to set the table, or Dad says it's time to pick up the toys? How do you respond to that message? Maybe you just ignore your brother or sister. Right? You disregard what they say and you just keep doing whatever it is that you were doing, whatever you want. Maybe you even react aggressively towards them. You push them away and you say, no, they probably didn't say that. I don't want to do that. Maybe you respond correctly. You say, okay, that's what mom and dad said, so I will go obey. And you go set the table or you clean up your toys. Now, which of those is the right response to this message from your parents? You know which one is right. If your parents told your brother and sister to tell you to go do something, you should say, well, that carries the authority of mom or dad, and so you ought to go do it. There's a similar kind of response that you ought to have when it comes to the word of God. A far more important message than pick up your toys or set the table. There is a proper response to God's word. That's what we see here in this text this evening in 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 13 through 16. We see there is a proper response to God's word which results in great change. And then we see also that there is an improper, indeed a wicked response to God's word which results in great change condemnation. Proper response which results in great change and a wicked response which results in great condemnation. We'll look at this text then under those two general headings. First we'll see the proper response. How you should respond to the Word of God. The Christian's response in verses 13 and 14. And then we will also look at this wicked response the Word of God in verses 15 and 16. And from these, we will be able to take lessons and make application to our lives of how we, as God's people, must respond to His Word. If you look at verse 13 with me, Paul begins this section by saying, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it. For this reason, Paul draws our attention back to pretty much everything that he's previously said in this chapter. Beginning at verse 1, he talked about how uh, the coming of the apostles to the Thessalonians was not in vain. Uh, He talks about how they came to the Thessalonians because the apostles desired to please God. They wanted to proclaim the gospel to these people. They they wanted to tell everyone about the Lord Jesus Christ, about his uh, death, burial, and resurrection. And Paul reminds the, Philipp, uh, the Thessalonians excuse me, that he did not come with uh, improper motivations or, or he did not come with an improper manner. No, he, he came 
boldly proclaiming the word of God to them because he wanted them to hear it, because he wanted them to be converted to Christ. He wanted them, uh, as he says in verse 12, to walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So with all of that in mind, Paul now thanks God for the Thessalonians once again. You remember that he had done the same thing or a similar thing in chapter 1, thanking God for the Thessalonians, thanking them for a very similar thing that they had received the word. And now he thanks God for them again. What does he thank them for? Or what does he thank God for? Excuse me. He thanks God that they received the word of God. They received it. They had the proper response to the preaching of the gospel. Paul constantly thanks God. It's, it's uh, not that he thanks God 24-7, 365, but no, it's whenever the Thessalonians come to Paul's mind, there at the same time is an expression of thanks to God. It's a, a deep love which he has for the Thessalonians and a deep thanksgiving to God that they have indeed received the word of God. They have responded properly. And how was this receiving, or how did this receiving take place? Well, for lack of a better term, I, I would submit to you that this receiving has a process. And we see that here uh, in three different words which Paul uses. First, hearing. Second, receiving itself. And third, accepting. So there's kind of this process of how they received the word of God. He says, first of all, that they thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. You see, the Thessalonians first heard the gospel from Paul. Uh, this process then begins with hearing the word of God. You remember in Romans chapter 10 that we read that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. When Paul and the other apostles came to the Thessalonians and they preached to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Thessalonians heard it. They took note of it. They listened. And the Lord began to use that. As you remember from chapter 1, uh, he says that they received the word um, that uh, it came to them in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. They heard the word first. And that is the first step in this process of rightly receiving the word of God. You must hear the word of God. For us here this evening, it would be hearing the preaching of the word of God each week. But we can also take that and say it's also the reading of the word of God. You must have the word of God presented to you. You can't receive the word of God if you don't know what it is. Well, how will people believe unless someone is sent to them to preach the gospel? How will, will you believe, how will you receive the word of God unless indeed it comes to you, either in the preaching of the word or the reading of the word? And so the first part of this process is, is hearing. But the Thessalonians did not just hear the word and forget about it. It was not just in one ear and out the other. As the saying goes, no, they continued by receiving the word of God. 
Paul says that we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, they received it. It did not just come to them audibly, and they thought, well, that's nice. That's a fantastic message. God loves me. Has a wonderful plan for my life. No, they did not just hear something like that and then continue upon their merry way. They received it. Uh, this word received uh, has with it the idea of, of taking something which is, is passed on. Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 speaks about the gospel. And he says, I gave to you that which I also received. Paul had received this, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the knowledge, uh, the words of the gospel. And then he passed it on to uh, the Corinthians and he also passed it on to the Thessalonians. And they, in turn, received that word. They took it to heart. They did not just hear, but they received. They took it to themselves. And how did they do that? Well, they accepted it. The third part of this process, they heard it, they received it, and they accepted the word of God. They welcomed it. They recognized it for what it was, and they welcomed it. Paul says, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. When Paul and the others came to Thessalonica, and they told these people, you must be born again. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You live your lives under the wrath and curse of God. But God loves to save sinful people. And He promises to save all who repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. These Thessalonians heard that. And they received it. They saw, this is for me. And they realized its authority. Paul was not just speaking his own words. He was not giving man's opinion. And the Thessalonians did not think that he was just giving man's opinion. They recognized Paul's preaching for what it truly was, the very words of God to them. It was God's word which they welcomed. They accepted it. They submitted to it. Like when your brother or sister children comes to you and says, Dad says this, that's an authoritative statement. And when you receive that, you say, that's what Dad said. You welcome it, and then it affects a change. That's, that's what happened with the Thessalonians. They heard this decree, and they recognized the authority behind Paul's preaching, that it was indeed the very words of God, the message which comes from God. That means also that in recognizing that it was the word of God, they had the right uh, view of Paul's preaching. A view which uh, was not stiff-necked or stubborn, saying, uh, who are you to come say these things to us? No, it, it penetrated into their hearts by the Holy Spirit, affecting a change within them. 
so that they both willingly and joyfully submitted to it. And that is what the Lord does for those who, who rightly receive the word. He uses the word, both read and preached, especially preached for the conversion of sinners. I'm sure many of you remember when you were converted, there was a time in your life when all of a sudden, the scriptures which you had heard preached or which your parents had read to you, or perhaps uh, the person on the street corner had proclaimed to you, it penetrated into your heart and your mind, and it clicked and you thought, this is true. This is God's word. And it affected a change. The Holy Spirit wrought a change in your heart. He enlightened your mind in the knowledge of Christ and renewed your will so that you were both willing and able to embrace Christ who was offered to you in that gospel. That is the process, as it were, of rightly receiving the word of God. It's a grace. It's not something which you can affect yourself. You can't say, well, I'm going to make sure that I hear the word and I'm going to determine to receive it and then I will welcome it and I will obey it and it's all me. I'm doing it all. No, we must, we must recognize that we can hear the word and when we proclaim the gospel to others, they can hear it and yet unless the spirit works with it, then uh, it is for naught. So the Thessalonians then had a proper response. They rightly received the word when they heard it, when they received it, and when they welcomed it. And when they had done that, when this process had, had taken place, the word of God effected change in them. There was a product of the word of God. If you look then at the end of uh, verse 13, we read that uh, they had accepted it, uh, the word, for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. The word of God, when it is rightly received, does not just sit there. It effects a change in those who receive it and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It performs a work. Remember that Christ in his, priestly, uh, his high priestly prayer prayed that the Father would sanctify all of his people in his truth. And he says, your word is truth. And so the word of God affects a change by producing in us, uh, or sanctifying us by the Spirit. The Spirit uses the word to bring us to a right sense of who we are, of who God is, of what we have done, convicting us of our sins so that we might turn from them, repenting and, and flee to Christ. Uh, the word works that in us. It uh, gives us um, more uh, knowledge of, of God. It teaches us of God. It affects that change in us. It begins to change the way we think, transforming our minds. So that when we read it, when we take note of it, we begin to think God's thoughts after him. Perhaps you recall when you were first converted and you probably looked at life in a completely different way than you do now. 
How did that take place? Well, I'm sure you began reading the Word of God and studying it, and you realized, wow, these things that I, I previously thought are completely wrong. Your entire worldview is changed. That's what the Word of God works in people. It begins at conversion, showing you who you really are. You're not really a great person like you thought you were. No, and indeed, you're a sinner, dead in your trespasses and sins, and you are in desperate need of a Savior. It changes your mind in showing you that Christ is the Savior that you need. And then when you embrace Christ, it, it begins to work a change in you by the Spirit by directing you and how you should live. It tells you what your duty is and what you are to believe concerning God. That is the work which the Word produces in those who rightly receive it. And in the Thessalonians, if you look at verse 14, this great work which the Spirit was working in them by the Word produced uh, imitative perseverance. If you look at verse 14, we read there, You, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen. So the Word was performing its work in the Thessalonians who believed to the effect that they became imitators of the church in Judea, imitating them in their sufferings. You recall in chapter 1, Paul commends the Thessalonians for imitating uh, the apostles and imitating Christ. And now he speaks of their imitation of the churches which are in Judea, which are being persecuted, just as the Thessalonians were being persecuted by their very own countrymen. I'm sure you can appreciate how that feels when those who are close to you, when those who perhaps previously were your friends reject you because you have embraced Christ and begun to follow you. They say things like, well, who are you to tell me how I should live my life? What gives you the right to bring accusations against you? I remember who you were and what you used to do. And it's very hurtful. But the Lord, by His Word, gave the Thessalonians a great perseverance even in the midst of of these persecutions and trials, even as he had given great perseverance to the Judean church when they were persecuted at the hands of their own countrymen. Now, when you read this, you almost have to think of what might be going through Paul's head because he was one of those people who persecuted the church in Judea. He was a persecutor. And then after his conversion, became one of the persecuted. He understood how it was. And so he, in speaking uh, to the Thessalonians this way, and in writing to them in this way, is, is encouraging them in the Lord. He's saying to them, these kinds of things are common to the people of God. You, you're imitating the church in Judea. The church throughout the world is suffering under persecution. And though we have it easy 
in this country. We must not forget those who are suffering under persecution. We ought to thank God for them as well, for their imitation, for suffering even as their Lord and Savior suffered. And we ought to pray to the Lord that He would, by the the Word, work in us as well this kind of perseverance in the face of persecution. That we would take hold of all of His his promises which He has given to us in the Word. That we would have great hope and joy in Christ if we are to go through persecution. That ought to be uh, one of those things which we uh, take to the Lord in our prayers. Asking Him to prepare us whether we suffer persecution or not to be ready and willing to suffer for Him as he, if He would call us to do that. Well, this, then this, this proper response to God's Word should make us ask ourselves a few questions. I think, what do you think of God's Word? What are your thoughts? What is your response to God's Word? Well, we, you saw the process here that, that Paul speaks about hearing, receiving, and welcoming. What do you do when you hear the Word preached each Lord's Day, morning and evening? Do you hear it and then stop there? Say, well, that was a fine sermon. I was very blessed. And then you go about your life, and that's all you heard. Do you hear it and receive it? Do you take what's being passed on to you in the doctrine? Perhaps an illustration is used from the Westminster Standards, and you receive that, and you think, well, that's very good. I like that. That's good theology. And indeed it is, but if you're just hearing and you're just stopping there at the receiving, you have not rightly uh, received the Word of God. You must also welcome it. Insofar as the preacher has rightly understood and is rightly proclaiming God's Word, it is the very Word of God to you. And it should be welcomed as such. It's a great blessing and privilege that the Almighty God has spoken to us in His Word, in the Scriptures, and that He has given to us men who preach the Word in season and out of season. That's a great blessing and privilege, one for which we ought to be most thankful. We ought to hear, receive, and welcome, accept God's Word. Parents, I would ask you, are you teaching God's Word to your children? Now, I've had opportunity to go on pastoral visits to many of your houses and been very blessed and encouraged to hear what you do for family worship. But when you read the Scriptures to your children, do you remind them, this is God's Word. This is God speaking to us tonight or this morning or whenever you have family worship. It's the very Word of God. And children, you must pay attention when your parents read the Scriptures to you. It's God's Word. He speaks to us in this Word. And we must pay attention to it. We must hear it and receive it and welcome it, saying, ah, this is what God has said to us. Let us learn of Him. Let us obey Him. It is God's Word. We must hear, receive, and take it to heart. And we must ask the Lord to use 
the word both preached and read to effect change in our lives, to conform us more to the image of Christ, to show us our sins so that we might repent of them, to show us the glories and the beauties of our great God so that we might praise Him more, so we might learn more of Him, so we might grow in our union and communion with Him. That is one of the, the reasons God has given us His Word, and we must take that to heart. We must ask Him to use it, to use it in our lives for His glory. We see then this, this proper response here in verses 13 and 14, but where there are proper responses, there are also always improper responses, and, and Paul shows that to us here in verses 15 and 16. Verse 15, he continues that uh, thought which he had that uh, the Thessalonians were suffering from the hands of their own countrymen, even as the Judeans did from the Jews. And then referring to the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. Before we go any further, I think it's important to point out that many people outside the church take looks at uh, this passage, others like it, and they'll say, Paul's being anti-Semitic. Well, first of all, that's hogwash. Paul was the man who had such a zeal for his kinsmen according to the flesh that he could wish himself accursed in their place. He so greatly desired the salvation of the Jewish people that he could say, I, I, would, I would, if I could, take their place under the wrath and curse of God. Now, Paul does not hate the Jewish people. He's a Jew amongst Jews, and he loves them. And furthermore, if this is anti-Semitic language, then the prophets of the Old Testament must be even more anti-Semitic. For Paul here is using prophetic language, the denouncement of unbelief, which the prophets constantly proclaimed to the people of Israel and everyone else. And so this text is, is not anti-Semitic. It is speaking of those who have refused the word of God, who have rejected it, and who have set themselves against God and his anointed one. Uh, how do we then see that this is an improper response above the fact that it's very obvious? Well, we see first there is a rejection on the part of the unbelieving Jews, a rejection of the word of God as it came to them in the fullness of time, but also as it came to them in former days. Remember the writer of Hebrews tells us that in former days, the prophets spoke the word of God to our fathers. And then in these latter days, he has spoken to us by his very son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here we see that these unbelieving people so completely and totally rejected God's word to them that they even went so far as to kill those who brought the word of God to them. They killed the Lord Jesus, first and foremost. Oh, it's a heinous thing to condemn any man to death who is not deserving of it, even more so to condemn the perfect Lord Jesus Christ, the one without blemish or stain who, who faithfully and fully obeyed God's law heinous thing, great wickedness to kill the Lord Jesus. 
And some might say, well, it wasn't the Jews who nailed him to the cross, it was the Romans. But do you recall that when Pilate presented him to the Jews and he said, I find no fault with this man, they said, well, let his blood be upon us and our children. They were willing to put to death an innocent man and condemn both themselves and their children for it. it their wickedness was upon their own head. Their wickedness in, in refusing the incarnate word of God. And yet they also killed the prophets before him, refusing God's message and his messengers. They drove out Paul, they drove out the Christians from Jerusalem, except for the apostles who stayed behind to continue ministering there. They, they rejected vehemently the word of God brought to them, both in the former days and in the fullness of time. A complete and total rejection. But you notice also here that they did not just reject the message saying, we don't want to believe that. But Paul continues saying that they were actively resisting and attempting to prevent the word of God from being proclaimed. In verse 15, the Jews killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. They drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. See, the, the product then of this unbelief, this wicked response to the word of God resulted in the great displeasure of God. Why? Because these people were hostile to men, preventing the spread of the gospel. Children, maybe you remember from a few weeks ago when we finished up in our Sunday school lesson, the study of Matthew, how the guards came back to the, the Jewish leaders. And they said, this happened. Angels came. We fainted. And what did the Jewish leaders say? They said, we'll pay you to spread lies, saying that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. The disciples came and stole away his body. And we'll protect you from the government if you do that for us. And Matthew says that lie was still spreading about when he wrote the gospel. It had continued. You see, these people were resisting the word of God, and they were resisting the proclamation of the gospel, showing their great hatred for God and for their fellow men. They did not want them to hear the gospel. They hindered the apostles from speaking to the Gentiles. They were so wrapped up in their identity saying, well, we're God's people and the Gentiles, they can't be saved at all. That they didn't even want the word of God to be preached to the Gentiles. They didn't want any possibility of salvation for them. They were hostile. At war, as it were. Preventing it. And so they're under God's displeasure. We think that Maybe displeasure is a light term, but to be under the displeasure of God is a frightful thing. God is the judge of all the earth who does right. And to make him displeased with you is indeed a very frightful thing. But beyond just uh, the displeasure, Paul finishes here by saying that uh, because they're hindering the gospel, the result is that they always fill up 
the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. Children, what happens when you stick a cup under the faucet and you just let it fill up? Well, eventually it'll overflow. You could have a big mess on your hands, couldn't you? Paul says here that these people who have rejected the Word of God and who are actively resisting the spread of the Gospel are filling up the measure of wrath which comes upon them. They're filling up the measure of their sins. They're stacking sin upon sin upon sin as though they're, they're building some kind of uh, big pile. They have no one to take that pile of sins away from them, to cleanse them from that. And they just keep filling up, stacking up, bringing sin upon sin upon sin against God, who they should be serving. And what is the result? The wrath of God. Wrath has come upon them to the utmost. That is wrath both then, at that point, wrath also in the future, the coming wrath of God. Wrath at that point because uh, they were not believing. Uh, John 3.18 says that whoever believes in Christ uh, is no longer judged, but the one who does not believe is judged already. They are already under the wrath and curse of God. These people are already under God's wrath, and yet the last day uh, will be uh, shown most evidently. Because we read in, in Malachi, there's that vibrant language that the wicked will be burnt up and trod underfoot. That is the result of rejecting God's word, of this improper response. Condemnation. Great, great condemnation. Being under the wrath and curse of God now and forever. My friends, I would be remiss if I did not take this opportunity to plead with you. If you are rejecting God's word, stop. Do not reject it any longer. Receive it. Welcome it. Accept it. It is the very word of God. Herein he proclaims to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. He says to you, Come to me for salvation. I will grant it to you. There is no sin too great that God cannot forgive. My friends, do not reject the word of God. Receive it. Take it to you. Accept it as God's word and receive all the promises that whoever trusts in Christ will never be put to shame. Do not not have an improper response to the Word of God, to the Gospel. Another application which we might glean from this, I think, uh, can be seen in Westminster Larger Catechism 191, talking about the second position, uh, petition, excuse me, where in the second petition we pray, uh, Thy kingdom come, acknowledging ourselves and all mankind to be by nature under the dominion of sin and Satan, we pray that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed, the gospel propagated throughout the world, the Jews called, and the fullness of the Gentiles brought in. Passages like this ought to make us pray more fervently 
that the Jews would be called and the fullness of the Gentiles be brought in. It ought to cause us to pray more fervently that the Lord would cast down those people who are hindering the spread of the gospel so that it might go forth into all the world, that all of God's elect might hear and be saved. It ought to cause us to pray more fervently that the Jews would, become, uh, would come to faith in their Messiah, that the Gentiles would come to faith in their Messiah, the only Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to pray fervently. We see here then these short four verses, a proper response to God's Word, an improper response to God's Word. The proper response of hearing, receiving, and welcoming, and the fact that the Word produces great change in us, and an improper response of rejecting God's message and His messengers, and how that produces great wrath upon us. My friends, what do you think of God's Word? Do you accept it for what it is, the Word of God? I hope that you do. I pray that you do. And I pray that all of us would hear, receive, and welcome it, and that the Lord would use it to work in us greatly for His glory. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.